Branded pillow next to you. Cheers. <laughs> I think I messed up the microphone. It's just a good thing that we're drinking yeah. water out yeah. of this. Yeah, we're hydrating. And not very bullet, important to stay hydrated. Not bullet bourbon. So are we recording? Hmm? We started. Okay. We're recording. Usually I have a, a much more um, kind of ceremonial start to this, which yeah. I will do. We we're, should do that because this, this was not award winning podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Oh, nice. I love it. <laughs> it's because we won the awards. Uh, loving it. Hi, welcome to the Mind Meld Podcast with Dave Perry. I'm your host, Dave Perry. This is the Mind Meld Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Super excited about today's episode. Usually when I have a guest, it's, uh, it's a burden. I don't like it. I don't want them in my house. Um, everything about it uh, creeps me out, but I'm really excited to have this guy sitting across from me. This is Rob Ebert. Known each other for the better part of a decade, if not more than a decade. I think we could probably do the math figure. Out. I think it's yeah. probably 2011. I mean, 2010, 2011. Exactly. Yep. And um, I've known Rob for a long time. We've gone through a lot together. He knows a lot about my life. I know a lot about his life. One thing I do know is that we both like bourbon and we both like talking. And because of that, I anticipate that what we're recording right now is going to be probably the first of three conversations that we have in this session while we're sitting here, but it's probably going to be something that I release over a period of time. So um, I have a list of topics here that I, I, I want to get into. I just want to say that since I've heard about this podcast, mm-hmm. I think it was about uh, 28 days ago, I've wanted to be on it. So you could say <laughs> I've wanted to be on this podcast like my entire life. It's been, it's been leading up to this appearance. I'll take that. Yeah. Uh, you showed me a compliment from a friend of yours and you even prefaced it with, I don't want this to go to your head, but if you don't mind, while the camera's rolling, if you could just... Give them, just give them the little elevator pitch of, of the conversation you had with your friend and how you steer them towards the Mind Meld podcast. Well, he said he was t- uh, he had finished all the podcasts that he normally listens to, and Sam Harris had advised that he trip balls, and that was the last one he listened to. He was looking for something new. So, I mean, I had to recommend the Mind Meld, and uh, you know, he, he turned it on because, like you've mentioned, everyone has a podcast everyone, these days. Everyone. It's the new blog, <laughs> and uh, he said the audio quality really stood out and you have a great podcasting voice. Thank you. And at that point I, I saw your that. head get twice as large. What's your friend's name? Brian. Brian, I just want to say thanks for uh thanks for oh. listening. Thanks he for also wanted to be your friend. He wanted to know if you guys are he, friends now. He did say that. I saw that on the text message. We totally could be friends. I'm of the mindset and I feel like you are too. Um as soon as we started working together, I got this feeling from you of like you are a f- I don't friends is maybe not the right you're not an acquaintance first type person. Like you give people the benefit of the doubt. You usually like when you meet people in my experience, you assume the best about them and you like approach them of of kind of just assuming that you have some degree of shared interests. And uh, I think that that breeds for like a good opportunity to have a positive connection with someone. Yeah. I I let them prove me wrong. (laughs) Yes. And that certainly happens. Right. Right. Yeah. So I appreciate that about you. Um, We know each other because you and I were, you were on my social media team that I, whatever, built at uh, this ad agency in Milwaukee. That was towards the beginning of my career. And I think you got a start on being a professional well before I did. I transferred schools three times. I dropped out between my uh, junior and senior year. And then my senior year turned into like a year and a half kind of thing. And if I understand correctly, you were already like in the world of journalism before transferring to the world of 
social media and ad agency, correct? Correct. Yeah. By, I want to say senior year in high school, I was pretty committed to becoming a writer for Rolling Stone magazine. And I, I like, I, I knew that and I went in, uh, so I went to Marquette university in Milwaukee and I actually hadn't quite made my mind up, I guess. Cause I, the first year I decided I was going to split between broadcasts. I didn't know if I wanted to be like a broadcast journalist and be on TV and all that, or if I wanted to be a writer. And uh, I do remember now thinking, well, the school newspaper pays and the TV station doesn't. <laughs> so at that point, I decided I wanted to be a writer. But I very much wanted to be an entertainment writer and, and write about music, and which I ended up not doing for the record. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a combination of like, there's plenty of people who love music, maybe even more than you, although you are an avid music fan. And we're going to dive into that. But um, that you can have someone who's like psychotically passionate about a topic, but does not want to be an aficionado or certainly doesn't want to be looked to as like the person, basically someone who reviews that topic or someone whose opinion carries weight in terms of what should I eat at this restaurant? Should I see this movie? Should I listen to this album? So what is the combination of your love for music? So I get the love for music, but from a journalistic standpoint, what was it that you were thinking like, and I, I have this similar thought to myself in terms of even having a podcast. At what point and why were you like, people want to hear what I think or read what I think? I mean, essentially, right? That's essentially what it's. Yeah. Anything that's even remotely editorial, you have to be of the mindset that you have an opinion or a viewpoint that is consumable to a certain group of people, right? I think it was more about what Rolling Stone magazine meant to me. And I wanted to be part of what they were doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, but so what, it, what, what did it so mean to you? We, we need to get into a deep psychological dive right <laughs> off the bat here if we're really going to get into that. I'll, let, me see how, let me see how quickly I can go with Real this. Real quick, let's okay. start with the fact that you and I are similar aged. We are into yeah. our late 30s, and um, we come from an age, and whatever. It's not that. It's just you and I have experienced, and our similar people, our generation, has experienced the transition away from the value of print media. Yes. So including the the tangibility and, and the getting excited about that new article, the new edition of Rolling Stone and like buying it at exclusive company or getting it delivered to you or something. Growing up, I still have pictures of my um, bedroom from middle school and high school and even what my dorm room was. Is like I would rip out pictures of Trent Reznor from Rolling Stone and that's what was on my wall. And there's something, even though it looked terrible, there was just something like important just in the way that like with the right album – having that cover art and having the liner notes like that mattered. Your artist making the cover of Rolling Stone was like, was validation that they were someone cool. They were someone worth listening to. Yeah. It was a huge deal. I remember there were many times, you know, I'd wait for a certain magazine to arrive and you were like very excited to like, who is on the cover this month. Now what few magazines even exist are doing that, like uh, announcing on Facebook, like a week ahead of time that like the rock is on the cover yeah. of men's health this week. So there still yeah. is even for the magazines that have essentially survived. Yeah. There still are the ones that made this. So they made it, but they still have, if you looked at their distribution or whatever, the ratio of their effort, time, resources, money, they still have a physical magazine, but it's mainly consumed. I cannot right? imagine. I can't get in the head of like what an 18 year old thinks like, what Rolling Stone magazine is or any magazine. Like what does it even mean to them anymore? It's so archaic. Is it kind of like those videos where it's like, we gave a 15 year old a Walkman and see what he, and it literally looks like a caveman trying to like open <laughs> yes. up a box. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah it's, right. it's it, can you think of anything analogous of that for us? The one thing that came to mind is that I know that my parents had a reel to reel. And the first time that I, which they could, you know, they listened to music on that or like the home movies were on this or whatever. And I was genuinely confused by 
what it was because the idea of just having a VCR, yeah, just it's the self-contained thing. You don't, the reel to reel is inside the tape and then you just slide it in and push play. But also part of that was just a reel to reel is like a complicated, delicate machine. So, but the idea of just looking at a Walkman, which is literally just a tiny VCR and you just push play it, that shouldn't blow your mind, but yet it does. Or like a, like a landline. Wait, this phone has numbers that you like literally like push or even like a rotary phone. <laughs> well, or that's, you're like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's like not even our parents time. That's even before then. But like, uh, it's, yeah, it is interesting to see how forms of media types of technology, even modes of transportation. Like I, I vividly remember I, our, we are experiencing, I guess every generation does, but like I can think of several important landmark shifts that have occurred in, uh, the integration between technology and our life in our lifetime two things that come to mind immediately. One is texting where I vividly remember a long period of time with texting where I was like, why would I, well, first of all, this is when I had a phone where you had to push two, yeah. three times. My to singular get to wireless. Yeah. You had to really make a conscious decision. I'm going to send this text. So like, why would I text you if I could just fucking call you? It would, it seemed so, it almost seemed like offensive. Like you're avoiding talking to me and that's why you're texting me. And I thought it was so stupid. At one point I did feel that way about social media. I was like, I'm too busy living life. Why would I have a fucking Facebook page? And now I have a, a, not only a career, but a company that focuses on social media. And then the other thing is um, Uber. I remember early on, what? there's no fucking way. I'm not getting in a stranger's car. I'm not getting in a stranger's yeah. car. Yep. And trusting them with my safety and also understanding that this is like a, it's generally a, just a subcontractor. It's not even like a taxi employee or something like that. And fast forward, whatever, 10 years later, I live here in Austin. I don't even, I don't know if you saw it when you walked up. This is the first time you've been in my house. I don't even have a car. I solely rely on Uber. It's really interesting that even in our lifetime, and I don't know if you've ever felt similarly about some of those things or other things, but like we are even going through this resistance that we probably see from a younger generation who, who maybe aren't even aware of. So like a Walkman blows their mind or whatever. But I guess I'm curious about the younger generation. What's their transition? What is their like, what's the seminal things that are happening in a current high schooler's life that is the same thing as us being introduced to texting? Like, we didn't even have cell phones in our hands, in our pockets uh, when we were in high school. And I think about the idea of that for, like, people who are bullied or whatever. Like, high school can be awful, for sure. But at least it stayed at the physical confinement of that building and maybe the occasional weekend party if you were even invited. Now you have a device where you are, like, able to be fucked with every waking moment of your life. I'm so happy that social media was invented essentially when we were in college. Yeah. I'm it, so happy it wasn't around in high school. Basically you're, that it had no impact on our social development. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, also, can, I would have said a lot of stupid things in high school mm -hmm. that I'd be embarrassed about. I'm glad that never made the interwebs. Have you ever done a deep dive audit on yourself from a social media perspective? The thing that's immediately coming to mind is uh, James Gunn, got fired from directing the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie because of a tweet, I think arguably homophobic tweet. And I think it was really just a poor taste joke, but it's from over 10 years ago. And I think at the time his career was really based off of basically being like the shock jock equivalent of a movie maker. Politicians fall victim to this all the time. Every, every, I can't tell you how many, every time something comes up, about, well, this person is uh, making a comment about um, the Black Lives Matter movement. And then you the, the, the immediate follow-up was, but we found this on their social. Have you, and I think 
Twitter for privacy reasons or lack thereof is the thing that gets brought up the most. I personally have not used, I, I consume on Twitter. I do yeah. not produce. You're not a big tweeter. I'm not, this. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm huge on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, either for music or this show or whatever. But like, there's something about Twitter. I hate Twitter on multiple levels. I think you're wise because I think Twitter is the bottom of the barrel when it comes to comments, maybe YouTube comments, especially under like music videos but, are the absolute worst. But with Twitter, you can literally be like, Fuck you, Robert Downey Jr. Directly at you, Robert Downey Jr. Like you are getting, I know that you're going to get a notification either on your phone or the next time. Like there's something so direct about it that I don't like. And also the ability to just have a, if you don't think about it or just to kind of lean into it, you can have this stream of well-documented stream of consciousness on that on the, on the totally unoffensive side, it's just like, here's my sandwich or just saw the new Thor movie. Funny. And, and, but then also like every I, joke taken out of context, every literally individual singular tweet that you have can be taken out of context. And f unless you have it set up, otherwise it's probably the most public and searchable social media platform that still exists. So nine times out of 10, when you hear that someone has some sort of social media infraction, especially that's been dredged up from the past, it's Twitter, right? Right. This might be a good segue into getting back to the newspaper stuff because when I got my Twitter account, I worked for a newspaper and I was very well aware that anything I put out there was public record, could be used against me and all that. And so I was always very conscious of what I was what I was putting out there. But, I mean, but my first tweet was literally, I'm going to Jimmy John's. Oh, oh you're saying. <laughs> Although someone might try to cancel me now because that Jimmy John's guy turned out to be a total asshole. And they yeah. could be like, he's supporting this company. That's true. Yeah. Um, I thought you were saying from the paper. And so something that because you have an editor is that in our social media lives and our personas, there is, we are our own editor, which is never a good idea. And I even think about that from, we're both in advertising. Neither of us works for an agency right now in the traditional sense. Uh, but I think that you would agree with me that even, even though it's 2021 and we've known each other for 10 plus years. And even at the time there was, there was a few years before then where social was still being implemented in agencies that even in 2021, social media is still being treated as this like afterthought in that the idea of a print ad for a huge client of your agency going to print where the writer is the only person who saw the headline before it ends up in Travel Magazine is just simply not a reality. Editors see it. Account people see it. The client sees it. Like there's all of these checkpoints that go from this idea popped into my head of what I should say on behalf of the company or the brand or the product, and then people seeing it. And still to this day, we are seeing examples of how on behalf of a fortune 500 or 100 or 50 company, it just fucking Jimmy, the community manager that just so happens to be logged onto Twitter at that day gets the really bad opportunity to, not, you know, there's not a, there's not a, a process in place that stops him from just kind of being like, well, this is how I feel. So this is how I'm going to respond. That doesn't happen in any other form of marketing. Right. I feel like social media was always, what can we have the intern do? Well, we'll have them run the Inst Instagram account. We'll mm -hmm. have them run the Facebook page, no matter what kind of company or what agency you're at. It was always the social media job that was kind of the entry level position. Right. And they, I guess they would re report to the creative director or whoever, but it was always the youngest person or the intern, or and it was always an afterthought. When I was at um, GMR, 
in Wisconsin. Fuck you, Brian Raish. Uh, uh, the entire department was comprised of people who were given an opportunity to, so I, I, there were three people in the department that was not a fucking department at the time that I worked there. And all three of these people had jobs because the previous job that they had at that agency was eliminated. And they were told you can either not work here anymore or go do social media. And one of those three people was a truck driver. And his name was Tom. Tom happened to know a decent amount about cars. And one of our clients was a high-end automobile auction client. So like if you could have the opportunity to go buy the Batmobile at one of these like really, it's just this crazy rich person event. So his knowledge base, it had nothing to do with social media. He was never, he's a fucking truck driver. No offense to truck drivers, but like this has nothing to do with like client facing etiquette or best practices is literally, this is a gearhead who drove a fucking truck. And because this agency before getting into the creative realm, their whole, their bread and butter was doing mobile event marketing. If there is a, the Wisconsin state fair is going to have some booth set up to promote the new chew from the Marlboro subsidiary that had, you know, grizzly bear or whatever. Tom drove the truck that went from wherever Marlboro's product was to the Wisconsin state fair and made sure that shit was set up properly. And then they lost that piece of business but Tom had been with the company for a while. They're like, so you can either be unemployed or now you do Facebook, which is again, if you did that with any other form of marketing or almost any other job, it's fucking insane and insulting to the other people who actually like do that for a living. The three people who I inherited when I came to that agency were all that they were interns in departments that couldn't get hired for that department or a truck driver. It was like, either you can just not have a job or you can go manage Facebook. Yeah. And long story short, that guy, I had to end up firing because he told one of our clients to go fuck themselves to their face in front of their entire staff and their spouse in the middle of one of our events because he's a fucking truck driver. Like there's still, and that, this wasn't that long ago. Like there's still this mentality that social is just this fucking throwaway thing. Despite the fact that Facebook is one of the biggest companies in the world, that social media services is something that drives hundreds of millions of dollars in media buys and tens of millions of dollars in terms of service fees that agencies get. Like, I don't know right. what it's going to take for people from a professional sense to take social media and the process that goes into it as seriously as you do with a billboard seeing the light of day, a print ad getting published, a TV ad going to air. Why? Why? Or if I see like a new product, the first place I go is to see if they have like a Facebook or a Twitter page. Right. I no longer go to the website or I, I look at how recent the Facebook post is or what they've been doing on Twitter to kind of figure out like, is this a quality company or not? Right. And, and, and even that, like even the, the purpose that a website serves, I would be so curious to do like some focus group research in terms of like, and companies have no problem investing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in their websites. And it comes to social media and like, can we promote posts for $5,000? Like no. what? Social media is free. Why would you do that? Also something like Hellman's mayonnaise. What purpose does your mayonnaise website serve? Honestly, like what, who do you think? Well, first of all, there should be data to answer that question for you, whether you agree with it or not. But like, do you think that, the mother of three living in the suburbs is some, for some fucking reason, going to hellmansmayo.com slash fun. I just, it's so weird to me. Like, Tell what? your mayo story. Yeah. 
I just, it's, uh, it boggles the mind, but yeah. there's just something like, it's, it's more about like checking the box of like, well, everyone has a website and social gets treated that way too. Well, everyone's on social, so we need to be on social. And then that's pretty much where the thinking stops. And then it's just like, just crap stuff out. And I just, well, I, I, I have to, I have to mention that I feel pretty lucky with where I've been because when I started at CK, I worked under Jason Lusk. Mm-hmm. I, st- I still love the guy. I, I haven't talked to him in years and years. Oh, we're friends on, on social media and all that. I've seen him since you've seen him because I went to Vietnam. And this is the, this is a quick story yeah. worth telling. So yeah. uh, the agency that you and I worked at had a uh, Spice Islands as a client. And that's basically, for the, those who don't know, that's like a high-end alternative to like Lowry's. And uh, so they sell spices. They sell cinnamon nutmeg and oregano and stuff and something that i was very proud about with our social team is that and we did this in our power sports stuff and 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 like it was about connecting like creating content that was reflective of it, it's not a commercial and we were doing this in 2011 2012 or whatever it's about like and and one of my things on the list here that i want to talk about is iceland um, but yes. we were creating content that was about what are our consumers doing? We can, we can show them in a real, in a, um, idealistic scenario in terms of like, we would take super users and take them to an, an exotic location to go use the ATV that they had at their home in Minneapolis. But that was still a real person. It was an unscripted event. And I, that's still my fucking motto and mantra for social is that like, think it's consumer first we can make aspirational content without this being a rap video or whatever. Like this doesn't need to be some sort of unrealistic thing that isn't rooted in reality. And social is perfect for that. So for spice islands, there was this, uh, directive to go take a one man band, essentially uh, f- film crew to where the cinnamon, uh, bark essentially was harvested for spice island cinnamon, which was Vietnam. Uh, so uh, Jason, who was, a, I think, a SVP at the, at the company that we were at, um, for both bandwidth and just interest reasons, he would end up being the one who went with our camera guy to Vietnam to like the fucking jungles to whatever happened. Cha- so I gotta be honest, I am envious of Jason, the, the, the vigor with which he came back from that experience. He had an epiphany. So this guy comes back from this week long shoot in the cinnamon farms of Vietnam and he has been truly inspired and is ready to, uh, his whole life is he's just ready to, to change shit convinced when he came back from Vietnam that this is the place that I need to be living in. Um, I'm going to go do it. And he, I'm not going to say threw away, but he ended every comfort that he had in his American lifestyle to go live in Vietnam and his initial intention was to work like the fucking cinnamon trade. And I think it's worth noting that he is a, like, I'm not, I'm not being an asshole. I'm just being honest. He's like a five, four wafy near albino level. Like he's just a, a somewhat frail, small white man in his forties. And I was like, you're going to move to a third world country to get involved in manual labor in a country that nears the equator. It's there's all of these things in my own. I was like, this is wild, dude. Like I still appreciated that he was going for it, but I was like, this is not checking out with me. Uh, It literally seemed like a midlife crisis type thing. And to be fair. So this was probably 2012. He's still there. He's now the cinnamon trade. He's married. He has his own PR company. I went to, I spent two months in Southeast Asia in 2018 
And I spent a week in Hanoi with one of my best friends and Jason and his wife were, were gracious enough to like give us tours and show us around. We ate at the restaurant that Anthony Bourdain and Obama ate at on uh, no reservations. I got a really a lot of cool, like insight into life there, but it was just like, I, I, he went for it. He was truly inspired on an epiphany level. And he came back from that trip and was just like, I, my life in America is done. And he's still there to this day. And I give him a ton of credit for that. Oh, trust me. His move was very impactful. If, if you remember where I'm coming from, I've been a journalist for five years or whatever. And I decided I'm going to move back to Milwaukee and get involved in advertising. Jason was like my Sherpa. Like he, he, I, I would sit in meetings and hear words people were saying. I had no idea like how jargon driven advertising was. This is a true story. Can, can you think of a, uh, a example? KPI. Okay, sure. Yeah, just writing down acronyms and words in a notebook and going back to my computer and looking them up. And this guy was, he- I still do that for the record. Yeah. <laughs> he not only like gave me so much responsibility from the outset, but he'd like- you know, protect me, you know, as needed, you know, because I was new to the industry and, and new to all of this. And I mean, that year was so transformative in my life. I mean, I, this is what I always tell people too, is like, I didn't know, like, so when he, sh when he sent me on different video shoots, I was so ignorant. I didn't know I was acting as the creative director, the account executive, the social media person, uh, the producer, He's just like, go do this thing. And I'm like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll just figure it out as I go along here. And later on, later on in advertising, I get in trouble for this because I don't, you know, I just operate as my one man band that I always had. And yep. they're like, wait a second, you're not getting insurance for this shoot. What if you have a rainy day? <laughs> yeah. and all this kind of stuff that yep. had never even occurred to me because I'd always just be like, well, I'll figure it out when I'm there. Um, and so he, I had, we had worked together for a year and then he announces he's leaving. Okay. I'm one year into my advertising career, like trying to do anything to make this happen. I should say, I, I've never wanted any job more than I wanted to work at Kramer Kresselt. That's no, that's not a negative against any job I've taken since. It's just, I lived in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I needed, I wanted everything. I needed to get back to a big city. I wanted to work in Milwaukee. Just and so the opportunity, hundred percent yeah. same page. I was coming from a small town newspaper where I worked Tuesday through Saturday and I worked second shift. So that means 3 PM to midnight and my days off were Sunday and Monday. And, uh, not only that, they didn't, they didn't have things like coffee. You had to buy your own Folgers and that's, bring it in. That's so, when, when that's you, so demoralizing, dude. I, you either had to work Christmas Eve or Christmas day. I worked holidays, nights, and weekends. And then you had to, Hey you gang, to, we appreciate the fact yeah. that you need, that you eat food and it turns into poop. And we're <laughs> yeah. glad to provide the toilets for that. But if yeah. you want to wipe your butt, yeah. you bring your own. I was bringing paper. quarters to buy a 75 cent Pepsi. And so that's kind of the environment I'm coming from. So stupid. I interview at CK. And there's I, a, and I interviewed you. I mean, you, a, you interviewed a panel of people, yeah. but like, I remember, I remember talking to you. I remember being amazed. There was a soda machine and a coffee yeah. machine yeah. and people would complain about different things. And I'm like, you get the week off between Christmas and new year's. This is the greatest thing I could ever imagine. Like I was just so grateful to be there. And I wanted that job so badly. I always made sure I was around the first person to be in. I made sure I left, you know, after everyone just like I am sticking here. So to have Jason leave then after that year mark, I'm like, oh shit.
And I want to point out, we signed Shaquille O'Neal to his first ever social media deal. At the time. That's how new it is, because I'm pretty sure he's done like 37 since then. Yeah. There's literally nothing this man will turn down. Uh, but he turned. He was a big fan of Can-Am Spider. It's got to be he, way more than 37. Yeah. <laughs> you look at his ads for the General, the General and Icy Hot yeah. and everything. There's no way it's 30. I'm still not like, convinced yeah. the General is a real company. Uh, go to the General and save some time <laughs> yeah. and then let me know whether yeah. or not it's real. So, yeah, it's... It's wild. Uh, well, that was an interesting thing about how I just really, really quick want to address. I, we haven't talked about a single thing on my list at this oh, okay. point. So no, no, I'm not we, saying we should change yeah. subjects. I'm just because we're, again, we're going to have multiple conversations yeah. here. But we, we got to get back to Rolling Stone. Start, <laughs> minute, love, minute two. I love, I love. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, let me get into my childhood, yeah. and you're like, well, let's yeah. let me go here with you yeah. now. Forty minutes later, yeah. Um, you and I spent a ton of time. And I still, I'm still of this mindset for the vast majority of my clients today is that short of being like a luxury brand or something, the, the genius of social media, even before the platforms realize it, but just the, what is the nugget of wisdom that has come out of these, the importance of social media platforms is that it is this digital mirror in which people see themselves. That is not the same thing as what's happening on their TV. And even without consumers being able to articulate it themselves, they understand the difference of an ad that they see on TV in between the segments of the show that they sat down to watch versus pieces of content that are associated with a brand that somehow get in front of them while they're using a tool to do what they want. And I'm trying to think of an example of that. It was like if you were eating food at a restaurant and you opened up the menu and for some reason on that first page of the menu was an ad for Frank's auto shop. You are not expecting that when you're at this restaurant that you're going to be presented with advertising. That is what social media is. Everyone is of the mindset because every single user by design has their Facebook account for free. And we're still, it's crazy to me that still in this, if this is even covered in the movie, the social network where where Zuckerberg was so resistant to making this a profitable mm -hmm. uh, advertising driven thing early on that everyone is of this mindset of like, it's a free thing and I can do whatever the fuck I want and whatever. But then they're like, when the social dilemma comes out on Netflix, they're like, Oh my God, these people are tracking us. It's like, dude, yes, everything in life is a business. And it's, I've been, even though there have been very nefarious, terrible things that have happened in social media, it still shocks me that people are, are blown away. Wait, you're telling me, that Zuckerberg and his lizard people looked at what I did personally, the pages that I like, the people that I'm connected to, the pictures that I shared on their platform that mm -hmm. I signed up for, and now they're selling that information? It's like, yeah, yeah. What blows my mind is I think like every two years, there's this viral spam that goes out. It has like very official sounding words, and people, are, it's something along the lines of, I hereby do not let, do yes. not give Facebook the permission to use my photos or share my information. So you're posting a notice on their platform that they can't do stuff with stuff you're posting onto Facebook. Like I can't even pronounce it clearly. It's so crazy. Uh, a more absurd, but still realistic extension of that. Whew. Without the rocks, man, oh. it's. It's brutal. It's not going down as smooth. No, it's not. What you need is Matthew McConaughey's <laughs> Wild Branch Law. Hey, for the record, I have Wild Turkey downstairs, oh, okay. and he said no. So that's then that McConaughey would be upset because what vehicle do you drive? I'm happy to report I'm now driving a beautiful Lincoln Corsair. 
courtesy of Matthew McConaughey. Matthew, if you want me to, uh, if you want to, you know, talk later about our favorite things about the vehicle. You think you know. guys could do like uh, carpool karaoke? Do you think like all you right, and all right, all right? You, I think we could. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's an, I don't know specifically where he lives, but yeah. he's. I can say this definitively. Matthew McConaughey is ten miles from where I'm sitting right yeah. now. And yeah. So well, this fits perfectly with our uh, advertising discussion because I want to say if there is one celebrity person, whatever, that can convince me to buy a product, it's Matthew McConaughey. I will drink Wild Turkey because he recommends it. Why? And I will purchase his vehicles because he recommends it. So I, I, I personally, I disagree. I mean, yeah. I, I don't disagree with you that that is that does have an impact on you, but I disagree with that impact on me. I'm, but I'm, I love McConaughey. Yeah. The reconnaissance. I remember us. We would talk about that. Oh True my Detective God. was like the launch of that. Holy yeah. shit. But like, so just for those who don't, are not aware of this. The, so Matthew McConaughey has an entire career, early career based off of basically him being an attractive, sexy surfer dude. And other than, um, what was it? Fast times at Ridgemont high. Right. He had a litany. Dazed and confused. Oh, sorry. Dazed and confused. Yeah, yeah. Dazed and, um, of romantic comedies, how to lose a guy in 10 days. The surfer dude, uh, failure to launch, and he could have done that for a sweet premium for his entire career. And there was a time period where he was like, I'm gonna be a legitimate actor, right. and there was a two year transition where he didn't get a single fucking and role. He was offered a 15 million dollars to do this rom com, and he's like, If I do this, I will be pigeonholed the rest of my career. Which a lot of people would be like, sounds good. Right. I'm happy to be fucking flow from progressive and yeah. get paid. I just have to hang out with Kate Hudson all the time and yeah. be paid millions of dollars. Yes. Yeah. But then he powers him his way through, which also he probably could have retired at that point and just done nothing there, which is fine. But I get, I credit where credit's due. He said, I want to be a legitimate actor. And then the reconnaissance is this time period where he did. And let's work on this together. True detective mud, Dallas Buyers Club, yeah, that was the one I was Wolf of about. Wall Street, um, Free State of Jones, Free State. Holy shit, dude! That's a fucking uh, just this slew of movies where you're like, if you, I'm trying to think, if if Seth Rogen did Lincoln, you'd be like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like it was, it's this kind of thing where you're like, holy shit, dude! This guy has got ch not only does he have chops, he's got versatility. He's willing to do something that the Free State of Jones is something that could easily lose money just as a business like the the budget was more than it made and he did a bunch of shit like that and that's fucking awesome did you read his book no. green lights no it's worth it so so you're saying from the because you respect him so much as a person that he has the ability to impact your purchase decisions i think it goes it goes to like the best of advertising is like aspirational and seeing those ads for how long I did, I'm like, if I can kind of be like Matthew in this sense, like that'll mean, that'll mean I'll have made it in some way. And this is going to sound super materialistic, but. And just before you say yeah, it though, can yeah. you, can we both agree that you are a material girl living <laughs> in a material world? Can we just agree? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We can agree on that. All right, continue. Yeah. And. I have to say, like, getting this Lincoln, it's, like, my most prized possession right now. Like, I feel cool driving it, and I, I guess I'm slightly ashamed to say that. But, don't. Uh, don't. Okay. <laughs> I will say that. So when you and I worked yeah. together at, at BVK, um, I bought a Cadillac, and I there were many people in our collective friend circle that I remember giving me shit about this, and I remember feeling ashamed. Oh, yeah. Having yeah. this feeling of, like, well, first of all, it's worth noting that it is a – this isn't a, even a caveat that I should give to make my point, but it's a $45,000 car. 
a nice VW is a $45,000 right. car, but Cadillac has done a good enough job that you hear the name Cadillac. People literally say this is the Cadillac of toilet paper or something. Okay. So yeah. there's this, this a feeling of uh, premium that goes along with it. Even if I did spend $70,000 on or whatever, I smiled every fucking day that I got behind yeah. the wheel, even during winter, which I had crazy seasonal uh, affective disorder. And it's a huge reason why I moved here. I, dude, spend more money in your okay. car than you're you spend in your house. Me, you're making I, me feel better. I know, seriously, yeah. dude. I, 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 I would 100% believe in, in that you should do this for the things so that you use all the time. interesting that you say that because when I tell people I got this car, I feel obligated to tell them that it was actually less expensive than the Mazda I also test drove, which is true. And like the Mazda CX-5, like it got a 10 out of 10 on car and driver. I went there to do my due diligence in the sense that I'm like, well, I'm going to get the less expensive. I should definitely like get the Mazda. The Lincoln is, you know, I can dream about that, but it'd be the smart thing to get the Mazda. By the time all the, so I was trading in a Ford and they were able to give me whatever, all these rebates deals. Yeah, yeah. The Lincoln was less than the Mazda. Yeah. Like when I told my parents I got this car, I'm like, but it was less than the Mazda. Like it felt very important for me to say that. And it's all from like a weird sense of guilt. Going back to those ads though, it's like seeing Matthew McConaughey driving the whole bowl and it became this, you know, this phenomenon where Jim Carrey was doing an impersonation oh, on SNL. Really and I mean, it became like a cultural thing. But to me, this goes back to my whole career too. Like I felt like I've had, I've done all these, I've had all these amazing experiences, right? Like I've rode ATVs to the top of a volcano in Iceland and I did all this work. And Which the, erupted this week. I saw that. Fucking wild. You know, I've ridden ATVs in Moab, Utah. I took a motorcycle ride from California to Vegas and I've, I've felt like I've done all these major things and worked on this massive campaign for Sitco that, you know, we had ads on national TV, but I felt like I didn't, I had all these experiences, but I didn't have like anything physical to show the world from it. And I, I, you know, I have to say, I'm not like that show of a guy. Like I don't wear like, you know, that, you know, fancy clothes or whatever it would be. And I've always kind of had like an, an older car or, you know, a very functional thing. This was really the first time, like I definitely spent more than I needed to on this vehicle, but I can't tell you like, I feel like a badass getting into this vehicle, and I love it. I think you've told me your parents are on the older side, but, like, when... So, I'm 37. When my dad was 35, and my mom was 35, um, is when I was born. They were both on their second marriage, and I was their third child. And at that point, they had already... I'm not even going to say achieve, but so much in life had already happened for them in terms of two marriages multiple kids. My dad had started his own business. And at that point in life, like, and my dad is not a good person. Uh, but I also understand like a lot of people our age have parents that age. And there was this huge focus on like, be six. Like if you're in your mid to late thirties, be successful. Like you have to be successful. Otherwise you have failed. And I felt what you feel like when I got that Cadillac, it was their feeling like i, I I didn't feel this at the time. I fucking earned that. I feel like just the word status symbol has such a negative connotation, but it, it absolutely is. And we shouldn't be ashamed of that. No, like I, because it's yeah. also something that you, this, it's not a golden toilet. Yeah, exactly. Seriously. It's, yeah, it's, it's functional. It's, it's and not even, yeah. and you could say my Lamborghini is functional. It's not a fucking yeah. Lamborghini. I, this is such an interesting cultural yeah. thing that you and I have both experienced where like, regardless of the price tag, 
but also regarding the price tag, whatever you fucking deserve it. You earned the money to be able to do that. And even if this was a $100,000 BMW equivalent of what you were driving, you should be able to feel just as yeah. good about it as you I do. I can't about tell you what it feels like just opening the garage door and being like, yeah, there it is. Like, I, felt I, wor- that, I worked for this. I felt that way every single time. But I, I still to- have this weird, I don't know if it's the Catholic guilt or what, but it, there's this weird thing where it's like, you shouldn't like show off anything. You should pretend you're living in poverty because and not brag that. about anything ever. And also, it's not not only is it a human feeling, it's also human slash American to like, and let's not dive into it. Let's not dissect it. Let's not solve that problem. Like when I got it, here this is this is a very modern moment. I put it on my Instagram story so people could see it, but, but also it disappeared 24 <laughs> hours later. Um, also, maybe I'm too critical of people because I had the car out recently. I was washing it, and you got to take care of the baby. And I had just a couple of various friends like came over throughout the day. And every single time I got an all right, all right, all right, or where's McConaughey out of it. So people didn't think I was like showing off. They're like, they're happy for me. Well, also part of it is too, and I'm not, I'm not trying to like create division between us here, but is that like, we're going to be 40 before I know it. Yeah. I feel like at this point in life, you should be able to just be like, I got a fucking jetpack, and I fucking, I busted my, like there was there to me, there was something more dangerous, not even dangerous. There was, I was more concerned in my twenties about having this success symbol associated with me because the ad, we were both part of this advertising community. It's a tight knit community. Knowing that there were people that were criticizing me for having this like sleek looking Cadillac and like what the, what that would be in my twenties, there was something about like, well, no, 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 no. We're all on the same page. Like same team. It's like us versus them. Like there's the rich older people and right. we're all like, I actually remember you telling me like, no, I went to the dealer. I really worked on this nine, lease. I, nine. I went to nine <laughs> different dealerships. I really got a good rate. I, yeah. I grounded these people to, yeah. I, Oh my God. I put so much fucking effort yeah. in making sure that I got the best I, deal. Possible. I did this with the Lincoln too. I yeah. went to multiple dealerships and used them against each other. What, what is yeah. it? But what is it, man? This is just really interesting oh. to me. This is, and this is one of the first times I've ever actually conversed with a, like a close friend about like, like we deserve. Well, maybe, maybe today is the day I can get through the guilt and just say, I drive a kick-ass Lincoln. I love it. Thank you, Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Come on this podcast. <laughs> Matthew, we need you. You're 10 miles from here right now. You have no reason yeah. to not do it. Most of your interviews are via Zoom. Let's Bring your Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On that yeah. note, love it. Uh, I feel like I, that was a lot. I feel like that was a lot. I feel like I just unloaded a lot of negativity. Can you just like, just for the next two minutes, just talk about something positive. Just tell me something about in your life that you love right now. Something that like you're really positive about. Just give me some sunshine. Well, you know, I got the new Xbox Series X. <laughs> and I'm loving tell it. Tell me about the load times. They're, Are they, we talking short? Yeah, really short. Oh my God. So the interesting thing with this generation, right, is like once we got to high definition, like most games, they all look good, like in general, right? Yeah. Yep. So when you go from the current Xbox to the Xbox Series X, there's not like this jump in visual quality where you're like, I'm definitely playing on like, it's not like going from Super Nintendo to N64 right. where right. you're like, the future is here. It's right. now. It's all these kind of like little changes, right? Where it's the load times are like non-existent. You can flip back and forth between the games with, you know, within seconds. Even the controller, like it, it looks the same and pretty much feels the same, but it's just a little more compact and it you don't notice it till you go back to the old one. That's what I've noticed because I still have my old Xbox. So it's like you go back to the old controller and you're like, oh, it's not quite as responsive. You go back to the old Xbox like, 
oh, it takes this long to get into a game. It's all these little things that add up. And I mean, there are a little bit graphical improvements, but nothing like mind-blowing yet. Why do you still have the the old Xbox? What's the, what's the end game there? Well, it's because I have the, the new Xbox in, uh, we call it the sports room. It's kind of like a man cave, but it's above ground, so we couldn't call it a cave. <laughs> and then, so in the basement, we have like this movie room, and that's what I have the old Xbox hooked up to. Because okay. that way I can still do Amazon Prime okay. and Netflix. And so that, that totally stuff. makes sense. Yeah. Totally makes sense. But yeah. in general, you're a fan of the Xbox Series X. Yeah, and I, you know what? I credit you because I'm like, I'm. You always get to that crossroads where you're like, are you going to do PlayStation or Xbox? <laughs> yes, yes, people yeah. are always like, well, you should play on the system, you know, play on the platform that your friends have. Yes, so I'm yes, like, yes. Because I was PS4 there for a while, but it was, you know, I didn't have many friends on there, and then you know, get the Xbox and you see all the little people, you Gears know, of popping Wars up and online. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's been fun. I, I like aligning to a brand. It's kind of a weird thing, but it's like I for a while I had PS4 and Xbox One, and it's like it's pretty over. Like you feel obligated to like play the exclusives and play all these games. It almost felt like work. Sure. And now I can just lock in. Like, hey, I'm an Xbox guy, so I'm just gonna stick with that. Can we make a brief aside how a company like is? as good and as successful as Microsoft botched naming these consoles. Oh, like I'm struggling to re- like, okay, Xbox one, but then they came out with Xbox X. Yes. Which I had. And then there's Xbox series X. Well, there's Xbox one X. Y- yeah. This is exactly y- my y- point. Yeah, yeah yes, no, it's but, fucking terrible. Yeah. <laughs> what, why do you, what, what, what do you have to lose by just switching in the way that, so it, it was Nintendo, super Nintendo, Nintendo 64, Nintendo. Wii. Yeah. The, the, like GameCube was in there somewhere. Yeah, but they yeah. changed. These are like different things. Yeah, exactly. It's, and they aren't like naming Mazdas like we were talking about before, which is like a series of numbers we and letters. Play and, hours of Xbox a day, or yeah. at least hours every yeah. week. Huge fans for over a decade, and we just struggled to be like, okay, what what are the naming conventions? Also, you on went this? from Xbox 360 <laughs> to Xbox One, right? What X and then Xbox Series X? You couldn't have done Xbox Series. Any other letter than the thing that starts with the it company is the name? Like, ultimate like a Microsoft executive is still stuck in like the Mountain Dew yes, culture of yes. like everything is extreme. Yes, yeah, starting but, with an X, yeah, X, yeah. X yeah. hyphen stream. So, yeah. well, yeah. Rob, I could talk yeah. to you for I, again. Uh, we touched almost nothing on my itinerary. We didn't even bring up the things that you want to bring up. I'll we'll have to come back. I'd be more than happy to, to continue this conversation. We have, I mean, so there's so we didn't even open that bottle of wild turkey. There's so <laughs> much the shit that we got to dive into, but uh. Really enjoy these conversations, and I hope there's many more. All right. So thank you for listening to the Mind Meld Podcast with Dave Perry. Please uh, listen and subscribe and watch on all of the uh, major social media platforms and wherever you slide audio dicks into your ear pussy, make that happen. And, uh, you know, pay attention. Stay tuned for more good shit. All right, man. Thanks for being here. Yep. Bye.